I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's, Let's go. go. I like your little um, little bop you have Mahalia in today. Thank you for always uh, bringing Mahalia into the conversation. Sometimes <laughs> she does feel left out because this morning's situation was a quick and dirty. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, she looks, she looks really pulled together. <laughs> Literally. <It> was, <laughs> let me throw this puff up real quick in two seconds and then hop on this call. Cause that's about as far as I got this morning. You know what? Um, it's funny. Uh, I love how black women, like whether they know each other or not, they just roll up on each other and say all kinds of things to each other about your, each other's hair mm-hmm. as if there is this sort of universal thing that says you are welcome to comment on my hair. So I got stuck in um, the rain running um, yesterday morning. It was, it was more one of these light drizzles, the kind that if you straighten your hair, that will turn Mm -hmm. it something else. Right. Yep. So it kind of left Jules with this sort of textured puffiness. Right. And um, I was walking, uh, in a store and um, doing some grocery shopping. And I see this, I'm walking down the aisle and this woman has this big, big like twist out fro and it looks really nice. And it's kind mm. of salt and pepper. And I was like, come on, salt and pepper twist out fro. And she said, come on, Bob. And I was like, come on, curls. Come on, gray. Yes. We didn't even know each other. Literally in the supermarket. And you would think that we stopped and chatted for a while to figure out who we know. No, that was it. It's like a universal language. I just like how we've abbreviated to just to come on. It yeah. wasn't even, it wasn't even like, oh, I like your hair. It was like, I just looked at her and I was like, come on, salt and pepper twist out. It's like for all things. Like I see people in nice shoes. Okay, come on, shoes. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Whatever. That's real. You know, I, I think I'm, you know what, I'm gonna make sure I'm just gonna extend that to everybody. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. So I see you and I'm just like, come, come on, on glasses. glasses. Come on, glasses. Come on, blonde Bob. <laughs> come on, dance goes. Come on, come suit and tie. Yeah. All right, girl. What did you learn this week? Or was there anything you were feeling that's new that came up for you? Okay. So uh, as a connoisseur of podcasts, as you know, I, I checked out this podcast called Gravity. Lucy Kalanithi. Her podcast, I I listened to one episode. The episode I listened to was the one about um, families and um, talking about all the different ways that families are defined. And I think what I loved about the episode was that, you know, there's so many things that we other, um, you get this idea of what, this is what a normal family looks like, but, you know, it really centers around a family that's filled with love mm-hmm. where people are cherished and that they feel safe. That is, that is your family. You Absolutely. Know? 
So I definitely want to shout out Gravity. The one that I listened to was about the, the metaphors and war imagery we use when talking about cancer. And it was, uh, it was just such a beautiful way of reframing how we talk about it um, among ourselves and, and um, among our patients and what it means to talk about cancer is something that you have to beat or you have uh-huh. to, you have uh-huh. to fight, which uh-huh. implies that you can lose, you know, depending on the individual, like that's a, that's a tough position to, to be in, to feel like, you know, if, if, if the cancer recurs or the treatments don't work, then you've lost um, in some way. One of the points that I really liked that was made in terms of just allowing the patients to kind of dictate the, the conversation around how they feel about it. Mm. You know, for some folks, it's just a matter of, you know, being taken care of, um, mm. making sure that you're right there with them and kind of going through each day and reassessing what, what, what matters most. Yeah. Whereas some folks are ready to come put up a fight and you, you get into battle with them, but you know, it's not the same for everybody. And being sensitive right. to that was something that I, I took away from that conversation and just how beautiful life can be regardless of, of what your, your time frame is. So highly, highly, highly recommend. Yeah, that was, uh, that was dope. I like any time I run across something that makes me think and makes me walk away, you know, looking at things differently. So I say folks should peep that. Yes, please do. Any other exciting things um, going on with you that I need to know about? I mean, I did already bring this up before and I'm going to bring it up again. I am moving at the end of this week. Okay. So I need you to send all the good energy because as you can mm. see, there is not a single thing packed in this room right now. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> mm, it's not. The real question is, who are your people that are close enough to you to not run the other way screaming when you ask for help? You know what? I While I have friends in my corner that I know that I can call, I realize that I am at that grown up point where I'm just like, I'm going to hire movers. I'm going to pay the money and and get it done. Oh, you want some grown woman stuff. Okay. I see you. Mostly because I don't trust myself to get it done within the small time frame that I I have between moving and then catching a flight to Houston immediately afterwards. So you got to bring in the professionals. Oh, that's good. I'm, I, I'm on behalf of all of your friends who would have been on the opposite <laughs> end of those calls. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're on. Yeah, there. There nobody no, wants to help. No, no last minute SOS calls. So we just, we're just gonna pay the money. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's what's up. That's what's up. I think if I'm not mistaken, you told me you have a story to share today. Yeah. And I would like to know my friend, what is the what? Failure. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I know, you know, over the course of our conversations, we'll, we'll get into some, some stories around personal failures, but this felt a little bit more systemic to me. Uh, well, let me know what you think. So this was, this took place my third year of residency and I had a patient who came to me after a, like for a post-discharge follow-up. This is the first time I'm meeting this individual, but this individual had been getting by, holding on, taking care of their family. But, you know, sometimes all it takes is just that one thing, that one hospitalization and things just kind of spiral. 
And that is what was happening. You know, every month I'm getting messages in my inbox that this patient had been admitted for, you know, a short period of time and discharged and readmitted and gone to the ED and sent back. And, and right. so it's hard when you're on a busy wards team, like in the, in the hospital, managing other acute patients, and you've got this happening with your primary care patient, you can't even really be fully engaged. This is what residency does sometimes is just kind of like ping pongs you back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so I'm at a point where I can kind of be present and they see like uh, this patient is now back at home. And so I actually was in my clinic over here, this conversation, it is one of our nurses talking about a patient that I recognize as mine. Oh man. And they were saying that this home health nurse had called the clinic asking about an infection that seemed to be brewing. Mm. And so what I ended up doing was just calling the patient's partner. And I was just like, what's your address? I'm just going to come over. Wow. I know. Wow. I toyed with the title of this, uh, of this story. I was like, should it be like extra, like doing the most, <laughs> but it was just, you know, in that moment, I was like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't want this to keep happening. Mm. I like got some supplies from the clinic and went to the patient's house and looked at this brewing infection myself and recognize this can't be managed here, but we need, we need to pause for a moment and have a conversation. You know, I've done a number of goals of care conversations in my short career span. This is the first time I've done it in a patient's house and probably the only time that I can remember. And, um, probably one of the more successful ones Mm. because the partner was there. And this is someone who was also just overwhelmed, just watching the person they love bounce between healthcare facilities and just, you know, tons of different doctors, multiple admissions. And, you know, the, they were able to call more of the family to come and they were just sitting in their living room couch. This patient was suffering a lot. And so we kind of came to this conclusion that we're going to get this infection treated because that was painful. Mm. And then we're going to try to bring the patient back as soon as possible. Like that's going to be the goal in whatever form that looks like, you know, hospice is always a tricky term, but the, the goals have to change a little bit, not, you know, do everything possible, but do what needs to be done to give this person a good life. Right. So you're physically at the patient's house. Yes. I am physically there. I'm in the mix. You are not playing. Nah. Called 911. They got EMS there. And I rode in the ambulance. Wow. And I talked to you guys. I was in the front seat and I was like, can y'all at least turn the siren on? Like, I don't do this very often. They wouldn't. (laughs) They weren't weren't here for my my (laughs) shenanigans. (laughs) Exactly. But (laughs) it's all good. So I knew we got there identify myself. I go back, I see who the emergency room providers are on that night. Luckily, it's folks that I know. The ED resident comes in, does the assessment. The specialist comes down after a while, kind of surprised to see me. After hours, no less. Yeah, exactly. Mercy. The specialist looks at my patient and, you know, pulls back the covers, looks at this infection and tells me, 
we think this can be managed as an outpatient. We'll schedule them for follow-up in clinic. And you had come with the patient because clinically you thought, no, this is not something that can just exactly manage. Okay. And it, mm. it didn't take much to realize that. I think if you were to have done a chart review at that moment, you would see that this patient had missed every outpatient follow-up that was, that had been scheduled for like the last four months, Mm. you know, it was more of a social common sense need than perhaps a medical need. But when you are a busy provider in a busy residency in a busy hospital, that is very much about utilization. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that happening. So again, like you kind of see what you are a part of, but from the patient's eyes. And it was just frustrating for me as a third year resident, like kind of knowing how the system works, but really seeing up close, like, oh, this is how we end up failing these patients over and over again. And I had mad respect for all of these providers. Again, like these are Mm -hmm. folks that I knew and we all had been there. Like I've been there as a resident where it's just like, well, you know, doesn't meet criteria for admission, but here I am an outpatient provider knowing like this cannot be managed as an outpatient. So I ended up actually going to the medicine resident who was on call. Now we're like well past midnight. Mm. Um, This is the night team. I go and find them and I was like, I need you to admit this patient and then consult the specialist. And when you say the specialist, did the specialists, were they a team that had a primary team of their own? Yes. The answer is yes. They did have a primary team. um, And I don't want to. Right. Well, you don't want to. Yeah. Opinions. But like what happens sometimes is, you know, if you take on a patient as primary that may or may not get out of the hospital or may or may not have like an acute medical need, like you assume responsibility for not only that inpatient stay, but all the coordination that happens around getting them out of the hospital. And so that's not exactly an incentive to take somebody onto your service. Right. If you're the consulting team, that's a different story. Right. You can give recommendations, but you are not ultimately responsible for that. What happens to that patient afterwards? Right. So I ended up admitting this patient to a medicine service, um, which, you know, in this case, I thought it was actually appropriate because I could be more involved in that patient's care. And um, ultimately they did end up getting what they need, but it took a while. It was not a quick and easy admission, but it was a necessary one. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so the whole point of this, or at least what I took away from that experience is First of all, like not just, you don't have to do the most with every patient. Like I could not do this with every patient, but for whatever reason. I would come in the ambulance. Right, exactly. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes you have to bend over backwards a little bit where you can. Mm. And this was a situation in which I felt I could. Mm -hmm. And I I needed to do that for this person. Like Mm. it was just, it was getting to me how much the spouse was struggling. Mm. And I know what happens when people get caught in the cycle and they don't have the resources, they don't have an advocate or someone they can trust to tell them like, it doesn't have to be this way. Yep. Like this patient was heading for a bad outcome. Yeah. But also 
what I had to recognize because I remember feeling like such a bad primary care provider, Mm -hmm. especially as a resident. Wow. And that was me realizing up close, this is a systemic failure when you've got these brilliant physicians who do care, but cannot give people what they need. Like we are so hyper incentivized to discharge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you end up celebrating the the doctors who become martyrs for their patients. And I got a lot of pats on the back for this. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I was like, no, like, I mean, I, I appreciate it, but it's a broken system. Right. right. Like instead of celebrating individuals who have to really like, you know, jump through hoops to get people what they need. We really gotta, we really gotta fix this. Mm. Well, the first thing I want to say as somebody who is older than you, which we have already discussed (laughs) is how much it just gives my heart a jolt to know that, you know, our younger generations and people coming behind us, they deeply care and want to go the extra mile for our patients. Although the focus should not be on um, individual heroism, mm-hmm. um, sometimes um, for, for a system to get moving or for people to recognize a systemic failure, oftentimes uh, what an individual does brings that to light. So I just on behalf of that patient and patients who look like that patient, I'm just so grateful that you were obedient to whatever was welling up inside of you to make you want to do that. That's really dope. The other thing I think about with this is um, how we just do so much. We have so much discussion about sort of what I call, you know, turning flips on the balance beam. And that Mm -hmm. is like where you are. Oh, let me talk about, you know, the standard of care for this. And let me tell you about what medication to use. And let me tell you about this trial and that trial and giving the patient this and that and da, 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 you know. And to me, all that management is staying on the balance beam and twirling flips, right? But at mm-hmm. some point, the patient has to stick the landing. You ain't getting a 10 in the Olympics and you ain't getting a 10 in, in clinical care unless the patient can stick the landing. And sticking mm-hmm. the landing is when you are no longer in front of me. And it's and I, honestly, all I can say is that when you start to, to run through all of the factors that led to your patient being in that situation, Ashley, it's so overwhelming. So um, to try, it, it's so overwhelming to try to think about the solution, right? Um, because what you what you want to do is not just bellyache about it. You know, you want to be like, well, we cannot expect residents in an in an emergency department at eleven o'clock at night with a primary care patient because there was nobody else to go with them. Like, while I applaud you there from a wellness perspective, that cannot be sustained and is terrible. It's a terrible thing to even like. I wouldn't even want to make it known to too many people because I wouldn't want that to seem like that is what it takes. Furthermore, you are a PGY3, which means you were about to be chief resident. So what does that tell me as an intern? Like, oh, this is what you do. This is how you get, you know, a gold star stuck on your chest is to go to your patient's house and ride in ambulances with them. So this is all of this is fraught with peril. You know what I'm saying? To do this work, um, especially if you work in a safety net environment, you have to be a prisoner of hope, right? Yeah. And you have to be aspirational and actually think that it can get better. So what would it look like if, you know, through our 
sort of multi-pronged approach to thinking about our vulnerable patients instead of strapping it all onto our backs that maybe through our processes as through teaching, you know, making sure that our residents in ambulatory settings that they know, look, this, this is what the village looks like. Yes. You ain't the village. You ain't the village. The village has diet, registered dietitians. It has pharmacists. It has social workers. It has community health workers. It has a mobile health team. It has wound care. You know, it, ha- it has patient educators and patient navigators. The, the, vi- the village is just like out here waiting for you to, to, to reach out to. And I don't always do that because to delegate things, it calls for a level of organization out of me sometimes that I'm too tired to do. I'm just like, I'm so tired. I just, I don't have the easiest thing for for me to just, I'll just, I'll do it. But that is a failure to our patients too. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, um, you know, so I'm at the VA now and we, we have these very well-coordinated patient care teams. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, like, if it weren't for the nurses on my team, the um, administrative assistants, the pharmacists, man, like decentralize the doctor focus <laughs> team, like they are the ones running the show. It's incredible when it works well. Yeah. And that is real. Like I did, I remember that feeling as a resident, like you got to do it all. Like you got to be the hero. You got to be the one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you, so you actually don't want to lose the part of you that went to go see your patient because that, that part of you needs to be there, but you, you need to be well. And then we also need our patients to know like what, what is at, what is really available to them. Right. It, it can't always, you know, be the extreme. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I mean, what's better for our patients is the day by day by day by day of what they get from us versus the heroic performance Oscar worthy moment where we do something that just is completely unforgettable. They need that too sometimes, but um, I think the little drip by drip is what what saves people's lives. Yeah, I agree 100%. That's a word right there. Yeah. Well, I am just so glad that you and Mahalia decided to go and see about that patient. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm glad that you, I'm I'm glad that you chose to tell that story um, because one, I think there's somebody who's young, who, um, who's listening, thinking like, gosh, what can I make a difference? Where can I channel all this caring? Come on and do general internal medicine. You can just channel it there all day. (laughs) But also, um, if somebody has um, loved ones who are resource poor, it sometimes can feel like nobody really cares. Nobody is really willing to go the extra mile for them. And that's not true. That's not true. We got to be prisoners of hope, Ashley. Yes. In the face of what feels like constant systemic failures, be a prisoner of hope. And also recognize the small wins you know, just sometimes just being present and having a patient come in that has a doctor that they know that they can trust. Mm -hmm. That's a win. I felt like that's what I got out of that, that situation was that that family knew that I cared. And, you know, when you say it was, it's a marathon. One of the things any runner will say is, you know, you got to breathe, 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 and just keep going forward. Now that's a word. All right, sis, 
Sis, I do appreciate you and I love you, friend. Love you too. All right. Talk to you later. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.